will be our New Testament reading. And as you hear these words and the progression of, uh, of things that happen which begin with suffering, I want you to keep in mind Joseph, who we'll be considering this morning in chapter 39 of Genesis. But we start, first of all, in Romans chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in our suffering. And that's a sentiment that's expressed in a few other places in the New Testament as well. And certainly those that suffering would be part of Joseph's life. I want to read Genesis 39, not from the ESV, which is our Pew Bibles, but from the Torah, which is a a translation of the Old Testament using the Masoretic text, the same um, text that we use for the ESV. But I I just like the way they render the passage. Uh, I think it's a little more readable than the ESV. This has more of the flavor of the NIV as the translators uh, rendered more thought for thought rather than word for word. But I will revert back to the ESV when I get into my sermon uh, to point out uh, a few things there. So Genesis chapter 39. When Joseph was taken down to Egypt, a certain Egyptian, Potiphar, courtier Pharaoh and his chief steward, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. He remained in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, the Lord lent success to everything he undertook. He took a liking to Joseph. He made him his personal attendant and put him in charge of his household, placing in his hands all that he owned. And from the time that the Egyptian put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, The Lord blessed his house for Joseph's sake, so that the blessing of the Lord was upon everything that he owned, in his house and outside. He left all that he had in Joseph's hands, and with him there he paid attention to nothing save the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After a time, his master's wife cast her eye upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. He said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master gives no thought to anything in this house, and all that he owns he has placed in my hands. He wields no more authority in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except yourself, since you were his wife. How then could I do this most wicked thing and sin before God? And much as she coaxed Joseph day after day, he did not yield to her request to lie beside her to be with her. One such day he came into the house to do his work, 
none of the household being there inside, he, she caught hold of him by his coat and said, lie with me. But he left his coat in her hand and got away and fled outside. When she saw that he had left his coat in her hands and fled outside, she called out to her servants and said to them, look, he had to bring us a Hebrew to dally with us. This one came to lie with me, but I screamed, uh, screamed loud. And when he heard me screaming at the top of my voice, he left his coat with me and got away and fled outside. She kept her coat beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew slave whom you brought into our house came to me to dally with me, but when I screamed at the top of my voice, he left his coat with me and fled outside. When his master heard the story that his wife told him, namely, Thus and so your slave did to me, he was furious. So Joseph's master had him put in prison where the king's prisoners were confined. But even while he was there in prison, the Lord was with Joseph, extended kindness to him, and disposed the chief jailer favorably toward him. The chief jailer put in Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in that prison, and he was the one to carry out everything that was done there. The chief jailer did not supervise anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made successful. The word of the Lord. Being the Christmas season and all, my wife and I have been watching a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies. I do this with her because I love her and because she recently watched uh, The Band of Brothers with me again for I don't know how many times. So it turned out it's fair play. But we've noticed certain things in these Hallmark movies that are fairly predictable. Uh, one, usually they are set in small towns, not always, but a lot of, this, a lot of times in small towns, they're just bustling with, uh, with business. Main Street is just a wash with people going back and forth. People always live in nice big houses. They have a lot of money. They're always eating out. They're always buying hot chocolate. Every place they go, there's hot chocolate they buy. And although it snows every day, every time you see a white SUV, it's always just crystal clean. And in the end, the man and the woman always get together. And I have to confess, I sometimes weep with joy because you just don't know until the very end if this is really going to happen. But it does. And it all happens within a two-hour time frame, including commercials. Right now, ask a question, which side of a tapestry makes sense? Unfortunately, I don't have a tapestry. I do have a sweater that's somewhat akin to a tapestry. And if I were to hold this up, you can see the various colors. You can see the threads and so forth, and, um, but you don't know exactly what's on the other side. If you were to turn it inside out and look at the good side of the sweater, I won't take time to turn it completely in out right side, you'll find that there are certain patterns which are very clearly seen. But you don't necessarily see those patterns from the back side of a tapestry. You see the threads that go every which way. You know they have a purpose and they have a function, but you're not exactly sure what it's like unless you look at the good side 
of the fabric. Now, having said that, we see in Joseph's life various threads of what's taking place. We know the end because we're familiar with the book of Genesis, and we know why things happened. But in the Hallmark movies, things usually happen over the course of a few weeks, maybe even a few days. In Joseph's life, it happened over years, maybe a good 20 years, from the time he was 17 and sold in slavery until the time when he revealed himself to his brothers in Egypt. That's a long time. Now, God promises his people, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, we're very familiar with Jesus saying that at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew, Matthew 28. But through the Old Testament, there are various times where God says to his people, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Fear not because I am with you. And so one of the things that we need to learn as we look at Joseph's life is that God is with Joseph. But before we get to that, I want to take just a moment to kind of review a few things about Joseph's life. If we look at Genesis 37, we find here Joseph is 17. He's his father's favorite son. And Joseph makes him a fancy coat of many colors. Joseph rats out his brothers because they're not doing a good job, and his brothers hate him. So finally, his father sends him again to find his brothers, see what's going on. And when he comes up to him, they say, hey, look, here's that dreamer. Because Joseph had also had two dreams that God had given to him. One, his 11 brothers would bow down before him. The other, his father and mother and brothers would all bow down before him. So their hatred for Joseph just continues to grow. And so they devise a plot. Why don't we just kill him and be done with him? We're in the middle of nowhere. Who's going to know except us? So they take him, they throw him in a pit. Reuben wants to release him, but when he comes back to the pit, he finds that Joseph is gone. And they've taken his coat and smeared blood on him to tell his father, hey, an animal must have gotten him. Uh, We couldn't find a body. I'm sorry. This is all we have. But they had sold Joseph to some Ishmaelites who were on their way in a caravan down to Egypt. And once they get to Egypt, Potiphar buys Joseph from the Ishmaelites. And then in Egypt, Joseph has it pretty good initially because everything he does is, just turns to gold. The Lord is with him. Everything prospers. Now, we don't know how much Potiphar prospered before, but once Joseph was in charge, I mean, just things went from good, from, uh, good to better, I guess. So he was really happy, put him in charge of more and more things. He said everything except uh, the food he ate, which may be an expression to mean except for just personal matters. Now, when we say the Lord was with Joseph, and we said in verses 2 and 3, 21 and 23, what does that mean? God was with Joseph. Well, we know that God does not abandon his people. But a lot of times our lives are like the back of that tapestry. We know something's happening, 
And we know there's a purpose, but we don't always know what that purpose is. Things don't always make sense. And one of the problems I think we have with the Bible is that we see such small segments of the lives of the patriarchs and of other people that we begin to think this is all there was to their life. But like other people, these patriarchs had lives that were filled with heartaches, sorrow, good times, laughter, want, plenty, all of those things. Let me give you an example of something. Who knows who Abner Doubleday is? Anybody? Abner Doubleday. Okay, he's thought to be the inventor of baseball, though some dispute that. He grew up in Cooperstown, New York, of all places. He worked as a surveyor and a civil engineer before he went to West Point, where he graduated. Then he was involved in the Mexican Wars, the Seminole War, uh, later some Indian Wars, and so forth. And he was also in the Civil War. Abner Doubleday was a Union artillery officer stationed at Fort Sumter. Uh-huh. Fort Sumter came under attack by Confederate forces. It was under his command that return fire was sent the Confederates' way. He was also involved in Gettysburg. The first day of the Battle of Gettysburg, Doubleday forces, which are about 9,500, held off Confederate forces that were almost twice that number. And he really held a line for the Union forces till more reinforcements could arrive. After the war, he got out for a short time from the Army, he went back in, was stationed in San Francisco. And being a civil engineer by training and so forth, he's the one who designed the cable car system in San Francisco and actually held a patent for the cable car system, which he signed away when he got out of the Army. He didn't want to, I guess, keep profiting from that. (laughs) Then he worked as a lawyer uh, until his, his death. All right, now that's a lot. Now we could say Doubleday invented baseball. But there's a lot more to his life than just that. We could say the same thing about Joseph. Joseph did this. But there's a lot more to his life than just these things we're reading here. And we know that the Lord is is with Joseph and is moving history to a certain point for reasons that are sufficient to God. Now, God's presence did not mean that there would be no problems in Joseph's life. Now, there are those who would say that if you become a Christian, then your life is going to be one of ease and wealth and no problems and so forth. Man, I wish that were so. I really do. But it's not. And the Bible tells us that we do suffer. and We have trials. And those are for a reason. They bring us closer to our Savior. They help us to to, to understand God's glory and God's purpose. Adoniram Judson was a congregational minister. He believed in uh, the same tenets of Reformed theology that we do. And he felt a call to go first to India, then later to uh, Burma. 
as a missionary, and when he was on the ship on the way to India through his own study, he came to the position that he thought believer's baptism was what was correct. So the Reformed community lost a good man, and the Baptist gained a good man. So you probably hear everything, every time you turn around every state, there's something named Judson, Judson College or whatever, named after Adoniram Judson. He was involved in translation work, translating the Bible into the Burmese language. He was arrested, thrown in prison, treated pretty roughly by the Burmese authorities. He was concerned that his manuscript that he'd been working on was going to get lost. So his wife took the manuscript, sewed it into a pillow, and took it to him in prison. Some other prisoner who was bigger and tougher took the pillow away from him. Initially, Judson thought, all this work is now lost. But after a couple of days, the prisoner threw it back to him and said, this is too lumpy, I don't like it. So Judson didn't tell him why it was lumpy, he just said, okay, I'll take it back from this. Good. Judson had a house that sat on a road that was traveled a lot by people going from one city to another. And he would sit on the porch, and as travelers would come by, he would call out to them some of the words from Isaiah 55. You know, ho. You know, hey, hey there. If you're hungry, come up and buy and eat without money, without price. If you're thirsty, come up and have a, have a drink of something that's good. People would stop and say, what's he talking about? So they'd go up on his porch and say, what are you doing? He'd give them something to eat, some food, uh, food and something to drink, and he would share the gospel with them. So he, he was a, a person who suffered in prison because of his faith. He saw hardship. His first wife died. His second wife later died. His third wife, I think, didn't die until, um, until the end of their life. But he, he suffered a lot. I'm sure there were times when he said, you know, Lord, why is all of this happening? But he did see the work go forward, and he saw some purpose in the things that he had been suffering. Sometimes that doesn't happen. We suffer, but we don't understand why. We don't see the purpose. Elizabeth Elliot, husband of Jim Elliot, the one who was killed by the Auk Indians uh, down in Ecuador, um, Stayed in, she stayed in Ecuador after he was killed and everything. She was also involved in translation work. I can't remember if it was the Quechua language or the Aka language, but she was involved in translation work. And she said that one night somebody broke into their office and they stole a bunch of stuff and they took the manuscript that they'd been working on. Several years of work was now just gone. So she and the other missionaries were talking about this. They were convinced that God was going to reveal to them in some dramatic way his working through that stolen manuscript. But time went by, weeks, months, years went by. As she said later, we never, we never saw any reason why the manuscript was stolen or what came out of that stolen manuscript. Sometimes we're not allowed to see the other side of the tapestry. We just live as one of those threads, but we don't know what the finished product is going to be. Joseph had problems. And one of the problems was constant temptation by Potiphar's wife. Now, Joseph, it says, was well-built. He was handsome. 
He was a nice-looking guy, and she wanted to sleep with him. She tempted him. And one of the things that Joseph did was to bring God's word to Egypt. He said, this is a wicked thing that you're asking, and I won't do it. It goes against God's law. I cannot, I cannot yield to this temptation. Now, Joseph stands in contrast to like, Judah in the last chapter. But he resisted the temptation. He was falsely accused. Potiphar comes home. His wife says, hey, I've got his shirt here. Because the word could be translated coat, could be shirt. It may be that it was literally a shirt, and she grabbed it off of him when he ran away. And said, look, he was getting undressed. He was ready to dally with me. I like the way they say that. And I screamed at the the top of my voice. Now, it was strange that when she called the servants to come in, none of them heard her screaming, but that's, that's beside the point. So she tells the story to Potiphar. Potiphar's furious. It doesn't say why he's furious. Is he furious at Joseph because Joseph has been trying to connect with his wife? It doesn't actually say that. Is he angry with his wife because he knows she just lies about everything? I don't trust her. I know Joseph. I know what she's like. It doesn't say that. Could be he said, babe, if Joseph's gone, what's going to happen to all my stuff? Things has been going so well if he's out of the picture. Is everything going to turn to toast now? I don't, I don't know. But he puts Joseph in prison. Normally, during that time, this kind of assault would demand, especially for a slave to do this, would require the death penalty. But he doesn't put Joseph to death. He puts him in prison. And it may be that Potiphar was actually the one who was in charge of the prison. It's not absolutely clear, but it seems that might be the case. But he was accused un. Justly. Have any of you ever been accused unjustly? Has your brother or sister ever done something? Your mother comes running into the room and she looks at you because she thinks you're the one that did it and she says, why did you do that? Go to your room, no TV for a week. Turn to me, give me your phone or whatever. You say, I didn't do it. I meant she said, don't talk back to me. Go. And you slink out, you say, this is, life is not fair. Why, why am I bearing this burden because of what somebody else did? And if your brothers or even your sister are really good, they can do things in such a way that you really are standing there looking guilty. At least my sister was. But what about at school or at work? Maybe somebody says something or does something that hurts you and you are, you are falsely accused of something you did not do. Maybe a professor says he thinks you cheated on some test and you didn't do it. Maybe at work somebody says something about you're not doing something right when you have done something right. And your boss gets mad at you. You have to bear his or her wrath because of that false accusation. 
Well, in this life, in this age, there are false accusations, and people suffer the consequences of those accusations. They can't always prove they are innocent. And Potiphar's wife seems to have the, the golden ticket there because she had his shirt. So obviously he was guilty. Joseph is in prison. Now the way the chapter ends, Joseph is in charge of pretty much everything there in the prison. He, he has the run of the place. And whatever was done, he did it. And it says the Lord made it succeed. So the prison ran like a well-to-oil machine. Now, when we hear this, we might think, well, it sounds like it's sort of more like a federal minimum security place. You know, maybe Joseph and his friends would play golf every morning, come back into the compound, have lunch on a terrace overlooking the Nile River, and then uh, go on excursion in the afternoon to the pyramids or to see the Sphinx or maybe to the, the library in Alexandria, although that wasn't built until about 288 B.C., so he couldn't go there. But, but if we look at Psalm 105, we're told a little bit more about Joseph's life in prison, at least initially. So he had an iron ring around his neck. He had fetters on his leg. He was chained up like a dog. How long that was, I don't know. But we know he was in prison actually some time before he had some more dreams. But at some point, he was released from the iron fetter and the, and the ring and all of that. And again, he was very adept at management. And so he took over certain things, and the prison ran pretty smoothly. And what happened later with other dreams is the makings of another chapter. Through the church age, Christians have felt that Joseph was a type of Christ. That is, in Joseph, we see a picture of what Christ and Christ's life was going to be like. Now, strangely enough, the New Testament doesn't actually say that. And usually we want the New Testament confirmation that someone or something is, is a type. But the parallels between Joseph's life and Christ's life are, I mean, they're pretty obvious. So I think that uh, Christians through the ages are probably right in saying Joseph is a type of Christ, kind of a picture of what Christ is going to be like. Let me just review for you a few things. Remember early on? Joseph was betrayed by his brother, sold for 20 pieces of silver, or 20 shekels, not 30 pieces of silver, but 20. He was rejected by his people, his brothers. He was falsely accused, as Christ was. He resisted temptation, as Jesus did. He was punished, though innocent. His work involves saving his people. Because of Joseph's management of the affairs during the time of, of feast in Egypt, there was enough grain that uh, later his family, and actually all of Egypt and other parts of the known world, were saved from famine. He was humiliated deeply but he was exalted at the end of that humiliation. He demonstrated God's faithfulness. 
even though he, he had promises from the beginning of what was going to take place, he lived year after year after year after year before he ever saw those things come to pass. But there's never any record of his doubting God and God's faithfulness to, to do those things which he promised for Joseph. We know that Jesus suffered those things that I just described. And the greatest humiliation was the crucifixion which he experienced at the hands of the Roman soldiers after a false accusation. Even when Pilate knew he was innocent, he was still condemned to death and he died. But that death had a purpose. That death was the, the vehicle whereby our sins were punished in his body. And the righteousness of Christ was given to us. As you experience various difficulties in life, whatever they may be, maybe it's with jobs, maybe it's with school, maybe it's with money, whatever it may be, it's health, whatever it may be. Always ask yourself, what could God's purpose be in this situation? Realize that you may not know right at that moment, it may be sometime, it may be never in this life what that purpose was, but you know that there's some purpose for it. Charles Colson, who I imagine a lot of you have heard of, worked for Richard Nixon. He was involved in the Watergate cover-up. He was sentenced for a crime, sent to prison was there for a period of time, and while he was in prison, came to faith in Christ. When he came out of prison, he had developed an affection for prisoners, and he worked to establish an organization, Prison Fellowship, to minister to prisoners and to also work for prison reform. And that organization is still around today. Cholson has died, but the organization is still there, and they're still doing that work. A number of years ago, I was at a conference in Memphis. Colson was one of the speakers. And after the afternoon session, several of us went out to eat. And we were sitting at a table. And uh, who should walk in but Charles Colson? So we saw him, and we kind of waved to him, motioned him to come on over, and he came over and sat at our table. And he ordered and ate with us, and we talked with him. And, and he was sort of like just a regular person. At this point, he was fairly prominent, but he had been in prison. He was guilty. He had been in prison, come to faith in Christ, and here he was sitting at a table with us, just like a regular person. Why? Because he was a regular person. He was someone who came to Christ, and he did see the purpose of those things which he suffered. And he saw how God used that for good. Do pray that God might show you the purpose of those things that you experience and how they might be used for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for Joseph. 
We thank you for his faithfulness. And we thank you that we can see in his life your faithfulness to him and to your people. Father, we pray that you might help us to remember that that statement about uh, Joseph, that you were with Joseph, is true of us as well. You are with us. We don't often, I think, believe that's true, but we do know in our, at least in our heads, that it is true. Help us to, to, to be firmly convinced and to live with that knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen.